At this time, I'd like to invite Pastor Doug Batchelor to come join me on stage, and we're going to take a few moments to look at some of the questions that have come in. Good evening, Pastor Doug. Hi, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Are we ready evening. for the questions? How is everybody? All right, well, we'll begin by taking a look at one of the text questions that have come in. And uh, the question is, does it matter what church we belong to if it teaches the love of Jesus? Well, we would hope that every church, and I think someone might be wondering about denomination, that they all talk about the love of Jesus, but there's a lot more in the Bible than that simple principle. Uh, if we really love Jesus, he said, if you love me, obey me. And I think that the particulars of truth matter to God. We learned our first presentation that with Jesus, the truth is a priority. Since Jesus is the truth, to whatever extent we reject truth, any particular of truth, theoretically, we are rejecting a part of Jesus. And so truth should be very precious. And so I think it does matter. You know, the devil is trying to um, camouflage the true church of God through all the counterfeits and confusion that you see in the world today. Uh, I think we all know that, you know, if there are 500 denominations just in North America that all claim to be Christian and they believe, in some cases, wildly different things, they can't all be true. And so I think it does matter. You want to follow the Lord and be part of a church that is a Bible-based, Christ-exalting church. You know, Pastor Doug, let me just mention this. Uh, we have a study guide that's on the Amazing Facts website. That's called, what I was going to say. You were going to say it? It's called <laughs> The Bride of Christ, and you can read it online. You just go to the Amazing Facts website, click on free resources, and you can read the study guide saying The Bride of Christ. We also have a book called The Search for the True Church, mm -hmm. and that's also available for you to read at the free library. Let's take a look at our next text question that's coming. If God knows the future, why did he create Lucifer? Well, we touched on that a little bit in our prior presentation. Uh, and I'm sure it was a painful thing for the Lord, even as he made Lucifer, because he knew that he made him perfect. He made him with every opportunity to be a great being. And keep in mind, if Lucifer was the head of the angels, how long has God had his ministering spirits? Angels are very old. I mean, here you've got Gabriel appear to Daniel. 500 years later, Gabriel appears to Mary, and it doesn't look like he's aged a bit. Lucifer may have existed for a billion years before he just began to fall in love with himself and replace the love of God with self-love. He did it to show, to demonstrate, that he really does make all of his creatures free. Now, be careful. Very important truth. Just because God knows what is going to happen because he knows everything. We all agree? Does the Lord know whether or not you're going to be saved? Does he? Does that mean he's making the choice for you? Your choice is just as real for you as it ever has been, even though he knows the future. Lucifer had that same freedom. We're all free. The Lord knew what he would do, but because he's a God of love, you know, someday you may break down and decide to have children. And I can tell you right now, you're not going to get any kind of written guarantee from the hospital that they're always going to be good kids. Did you know that? I don't know how to break this to you, but there's no insurance you can buy that will guarantee those kids are always going to be complacent and loving and obedient. You don't know, but I bet some of you are going to take that risk. And God, love takes risks. Did you know that? You risk being hurt when you love. And God created all his creatures free, hoping for their love, but there's always a risk. Our next question is a video question. Pastor Doug, how can we know for sure that we're going to make it to heaven? How can we know for sure that we're going to make it to heaven? Well, I think that Christians should have an element of assurance. Uh, in 1 John, he talks about having the assurance that we know him and that he's in us. Uh, but at the same time, I think we don't want that assurance to be boasting as though we've lost our freedom to choose. What you can count on is that God will never let go of you. And as long as you come to him and you surrender your life to him, you can have a confidence 
that he that has begun a good work in you will perform it until that day, that Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith. Now, I'm an author. There's a whole lot of books I've started that haven't been finished. Matter of fact, I've got a lot of books that they're really nothing more than a great title. I thought, oh, it's a great title for a book. That's as far as it got. But God is not that kind of author. He is the author and the finisher of our faith. And if you continue to surrender your life to him, he will unfold his will for your life, and you can have a confidence that he will finish and that you can trust him, that he will transform you as you daily surrender to him into the image of his son, and you'll be in that kingdom. Otherwise, Christians, you'd always be going around kind of gloomy and worried. He wants us to have joy, right? How else can you have the joy of the Lord unless you have some assurance that he's going to finish what he started in your life? Our next question is another text question that has come in. Can God have more than one will for my life? Well, you know, sometimes there's option A, but maybe you miss the turn on option A, and then you've got to take the next exit. <laughs> Pastor Ro I'll tell you why I'm laughing. Pastor Ross and I were driving back from 3ABN one time. We did some taping. We ran into a snowstorm that, I mean, there was no traffic on the road, and, except we had come to 3ABN from two different cities, so we had two different rental cars just because he was coming from one appointment, I was coming from another. And so I'm following him to the airport. It's like two hours on a good day, and here it's just, you know, terrible snowstorm. You remember that? Middle of the night, It was huh? a controlled slide for four hours. <laughs> and I got this two-wheel drive rental car. Trucks were jackknifed off the road. And so I'm going down, I'm just studying every little curve. You're just following the ruts on this freeway. And the snow is just coming down in piles. I just wanted to get to the airport or we were going to be stuck. And I looked up, and the road that turned off to St. Louis, I missed it. But because I was stuck in these ruts, and he made the turn, I missed it. I had to go like eight miles up the road before I could find a pair of ruts to follow off and turn around and come back again. I finally made it to St. Louis, and I don't know how I think I beat you because you, you got mixed up in the city. I turned off somewhere else in the wrong exit as well, but we finally got there. So you got Will A and Will B. A little more to the story. This was so incredible. I stopped on the bridge on Interstate 70 that crosses the Missouri River into St. Louis. There was nobody on the bridge. I actually parked my car, got out, walked around. I thought, this will never happen again. <laughs> so, <laughs> anyway, but, you know, we made it. Praise the Lord, here we are. But we both missed our turns at some point along the way. You may have missed some turns, but, you know, when you come to the Lord wherever you're at, He will then activate His best will for you from that point on. Amen? Amen. Amen. Here's our next text question that's come in. What can we do to desire God more? Well, if you put a little salt in front of a horse, uh, he licks it and it increases his thirst. You've heard the expression, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink, but you make him thirsty. And Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. I think you can ask the Lord to increase your hunger and to increase your thirst. I've prayed many times, Lord, help me love you more. Help me be more willing to do your will. I mean, sometimes, let's face it, you know what God's will is and you don't want to do it. Come on, right? We, we know what God's commands are most of the time. Mark Twain said, it's not all the mysteries in the Bible that cause me sleepless nights. It's the good that I do understand. And so, usually our problem is not that we don't know, but we do know. We have to just pray, Lord, help me be willing to do your will. You can also pray, Lord, please increase my desire for you. I'm so distracted with the things. Give me a thirst for you. You know, sometimes, you know why a, a lot of Asian people like rice? Because they eat rice. Forgive me if that was a generalization, but I've been all through Asia, and it's true. <laughs> it's because they eat rice. You develop an appetite for what you do. And if you read the Word, the first few times you may not have as much an appetite, but the more you do it, the more you'll develop a taste for it, and your hunger for it will increase. You know what I'm saying? All right, our next question is a video question. A large group of Christian youth leave the church when they get older. How can we keep those youth in the church? 
Wow, that's true. That's part of the reason we're doing these meetings is because, you know, my heart breaks that statistically, and this is across the board with every Christian denomination, 75% of young people that are raised in Christian homes, they wander from the church at least temporarily between the ages of 17 and 25, 75%. That means they stop attending. Many come back, many don't. And it is a real concern. It breaks my heart. And, you know, to answer you in a very reckless way and say, oh, here's, you just do this and this, I think it's several things that contribute to that. Some of it's going to have to do with the influence in their home from their parents. Parents need to do their best to represent Christ. But even in good homes, and very few homes I've met are perfect, uh, then there's the influence they might have when they get out and they make friends in schools. Could be under the influence of teachers. It's the culture. Just the, you know, the, the movies and the trends and the internet. Just all the, the blizzard of information coming into the minds of young people. I mean, you can never get away from it. I see you guys walking around. You're just constantly, you know, you got the whole cosmos of information on your smartphone. And if it's not that, you're texting each other while you're driving. But what's going to make a difference? I think that we need to pray for a revival. I think that God's Spirit's going to have to come down and do something extraordinary. It may take a crisis. It may take a crisis to get us to pray till we get a revival. And that will mobilize a young army to change the world. But we're doing everything we can do, and that's why we're here. All right. Our next question is another text question. Pastor, we're trying to get to as many of these questions okay. as we can this evening. Uh, the question is, is it safer to pray quietly since Satan cannot read our thoughts? Well, you can, of course, pray in your heart, and God and God only can uh, understand what you're thinking in your heart. Sometimes we can get impressions from each other, but um, there's nothing wrong with praying out loud. When Jesus said, do not be as the hypocrites and pray out loud in the market corners so that they can be seen of men and be praised of men, Jesus was not condemning praying out loud. There are scores and scores of examples of God's people praying out loud in the Bible, so there's nothing wrong with that. The reason that you've got the prayers of Jesus in John 17 and other places is because he must have prayed out loud so somebody wrote it down. I think the devil trembles when we pray out loud. Don't do it to be... What's the word for it? You know, don't do it just to be an exhibit or to be demonstrative. Uh, when you pray out loud, do it as you're talking to a friend, but it's also okay to pray in your hearts. Don't worry about the devil eavesdropping on your prayers. Uh, it makes, it terrifies him to hear you talk to the Lord. Matter of fact, when you do pray out loud, then when God answers your prayer, your prayer is recorded for everybody, including the devil and his minions, to hear. You know what I'm saying? So you don't have anything to be afraid of. You know, Pastor Doug, the next question that we have is one that we've, we've gotten quite a bit. And usually we get this question at the beginning of the year when people start reading through their Bibles. And they're reading in Genesis and they come to a particular verse. And now let's read the text question. You'll understand it here. The question is, are the sons of God who married the daughters of men in Genesis chapter 6 verse 2 angels? Yeah, this is, this is a verse that's troubled a lot of people. It tells us in Genesis the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were beautiful and took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. There are even some paraphrased Bibles that say aliens married humans. And others say fallen angels married humans and that they had these extraordinary children that were giants and has nothing to do with that. It's very simple. After Cain killed his brother and left, Adam and Eve had another boy named Seth. He followed the Lord. Adam and Eve and Seth and that part of the family were true to God. Cain took his wife, his sister, and they went and they started a clan, the descendants of Cain. They were called the sons of men. They were not the children of God. When you look at the genealogy of Adam in Luke, it goes, who was the son of Enos, who was the son of Seth, who was the son of God. Adam was that son of God and Seth and those that remained separate and true to the Lord. They were called the sons of God. And as long as they remained distinct, and they didn't intermingle with Cain and his family that had cast off the Lord. They were devoted. They were true. But Cain had some really pretty daughters. And when the sons of Seth saw the daughters of Cain, that they were fair, they intermarried. 
And yes, they had some strong, mighty children. That's called genetic vitality. It's very observable in the world today. It has nothing to do with aliens or devils marrying humans. By the way, the Bible says in 1 John chapter 3, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called sons of God. So you and I are sons and daughters of God. That's all that was saying. We got a book talking about the That's sons right. of God. It's called The Sons of God, and you can read it online at the Amazing Facts website. Again, just amazingfacts.org. I think our final question for this uh, program is a video question. We'll take a look at that. Pastor Doug, um, the question that I have is, um, as a young person, how can we study the Bible in a way that's going to make a difference in our lives? How do we study the Bible so that uh, it's going to really have an impact on our life? Well, one thing, when you approach the Bible, it's not something to just read. It's something that you should look into recognizing this is a message from God. Jesus said, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. This is not just black ink on white paper or whether you're, they're not just digital pixels on a computer screen. There is something supernatural about the Word of God that transforms us. Keep in mind, everything you see around you came into existence through the Word of God. And I understand now they're believing that everything in the universe began with vibrations. They call it string theory. And I think that's interesting. They think it was sound that brought the universe into existence. Well, that's what the Bible says. In the beginning, God said. <laughs> and so here you, there's creative power in God's Word. A leper came to Jesus one time and said, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus said, I am willing. Be clean. And when Jesus said, be clean, something miraculous happened. So when you read the Bible, do it with trembling. These are the words of God. Start getting the overview of the story, and then you can study it by subject. You can study it by book. Get some, you know what I recommend? And this isn't a commercial. I really believe it. Amazing Facts has a couple of really good Bible study series. They're free. You can do them online. You can order them. One is our historic Amazing Facts Bible study guide series. It goes through 27 study guides. And it just, it really gets you grounded in the Word. And then we developed another series that takes the Bible stories to teach the themes of the Gospel, and they're called the Storicals, the Storical Bible Study Lessons. Go through one of those with your Bible, and it'll richly bless you. Well, I think that's it for our questions for this evening. Uh, just a reminder, we do have our companion book called Dare to Follow. Go to the Amazing Facts website, and you can learn how you can get your own book. Dear loving Lord, we have gathered to better understand and recognize your ultimate purpose for our lives. Please be present in this meeting tonight. We pray that your spirit will speak to every heart, both those here, those who may be watching, and help us to live on that higher ground. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Good evening. Thank you for coming. Again, I want to welcome those who may be watching to the Ultimate Purpose series. And we're just dedicating this time to talking about the priorities of life. Seeking first God's kingdom and his righteousness. Understanding his perfect will for us. Now we talked a little bit about what is truth. We talked about where we came from. We've talked about uh, today understanding uh, God's plan for us. And well actually tonight we're talking about the will of God. And we found out where evil came from earlier today. And I'd like to, uh, so our lesson really is dealing with the subject of where am I going? Knowing what the will of God is for our lives. We thought that would be appropriate because here we are talking to university and college students and you are at the crossroad of your lives. Uh, we have one of the bachelor boys who's in college right now and he's just faced with a myriad of major decisions. And you have to do a lot of praying because just like missing an exit, you can make the wrong choice and drive a long way on that detour. And so you want to make the right decisions. How do you know what God's will is for you? I told you there's no greater treasure than truth and there's no greater tragedy than a wasted life. And I begin each program kind of talking about a little quote I want you to think about. This one simply says, the will of God will never lead you where the grace of God cannot keep you. 
If you have surrendered and resigned yourself to doing the will of God, you don't have to fear because his will will never lead you where his grace will not keep and sustain you. You know, I'd like to begin by going to a story in the Bible. It's found in the first book of Kings. If you have your Bibles, I know lighting's not the greatest out there for reading, but 1 Kings chapter 19, and it tells a story, oh, we'll, we'll read at verse 8. Elijah just had this incredible experience on Mount Carmel where he has a showdown with the prophets of Baal and he prays and fire comes down from heaven and he prays again and rain comes pouring down after years of famine. And he must have had a long day and a low blood sugar because before the day was over, Queen Jezebel threatened him and he spooked. After God had done all this to deliver him from 800 prophets of Baal, that's 400 prophets of the grove and 850 prophets of Asherah, then it says that he got scared by the intimidation of this one woman's threats. And he got up and he ran. And he ends up, an angel meets him along the way and gives him some encouragement. And he runs all the way to Mount Sinai. And that's where we take up our story. He's on Mount Sinai, verse 9. And there he went into a cave. I like this story. It's self-evident why. And he spent the night in that place. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? You ever have the Lord kind of nudge you through the Holy Spirit and say, uh, who told you to go there? What are you doing here, Elijah? So he began to remonstrate with the Lord. So I've been very zealous for the Lord of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken your covet, torn down your altars. And, and he goes on and on. And God says, verse 11, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks. That would be pretty terrifying. It sounds like a hurricane went through, tornado, tore the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the uh, hurricane there. The Lord was not in the wind. After that, the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. Boy, I'd hate to go through an earthquake, a mighty wind, and a fire without the Lord. That'd be frightening to know that you're not where God wants you to be and all those climatic, traumatic things are happening around you. And then after all that, it says, so it was when Elijah heard it. Verse 12, after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. After the fire, notice, a still, small voice. So when Elijah heard that, he wrapped his face in the mantle and went and stood at the entrance of the cave, and suddenly the voice came to him and it said, what are you doing here, Elijah? Basically, he's saying, I never told you to go here. You're not in my well right now. You've listened to me this far. I've never failed you. Why did you run off? It's a frightening thing to suddenly discover you're not where you're supposed to be when things are falling apart. Maybe you've read the story in the Bible where King Ahab gets caught up in a battle. And he has gotten into an alliance. I'm sorry, King Jehoshaphat gets into an alliance with King Ahab, and he nearly gets killed in the battle. And he had to pray to the Lord and say, Lord, save me. Nearly died. And then God later said to him, what are you doing? Why are you so far away? And then again, you've got the story in the Bible where um, you've got a prophet. He said, go make this prophecy in Judah, then leave. Don't stop, don't rest, don't eat, don't drink in the place. But that prophet got tired and hungry and he took a detour. And God said to him, what are you doing here? Before the day was over, he was out of God's will. A lion got him. You don't want to be in the wrong place at the wrong time and be out of God's will. Somebody said one time, matter of fact, I think it's in the book called The Hiding Place by Corey Ten Boom, the safest place in the world to be is in the middle of God's will. A few years ago when one of our boys surprised us by saying he was joining the Marines during the Iraq War. And people said, aren't you worried? And I said, no, I'm not worried about the war. I said, if he's in God's hands, he is safer on a battlefield than anywhere. Because we had another boy who lost his life in his front yard. And so I just know that you've you got to be watched out for by the Lord. And you never know how long your life's going to last. 
I think it was uh, George Whitfield who said, I am immortal until my work is done. If you're a Christian and you know that you're in God's will, I like that. I am immortal until my work is done. If you're in God's will, there is nothing that the devil and all of his powers can do to harm you. God will vacate heaven of all its angels to come to your aid before anything can touch you that is not part of God's will if you have surrendered to the Lord. You don't have to be afraid. So how do you know what God's will is? Well, you know, it's wonderful if you can hear the Lord speak to you in that still, small voice. Have you ever heard that still, small voice? I mean, how did Abraham know? when God was telling him, take your son, your only son, bring him to the mountains. I mean, he could have said, I think I'm getting static. Is that you, Lord? But he knew the voice of God. Karen calls me, and we've spent so much time together and talked that as soon as she picks up the phone and says, hi, oh, that's it, one word, two letters. I know who it is. And a lot of times we can ride along and just kind of use half sentences in our conversations, and I know what she's saying, and she knows what I'm saying because you spend time with a person and you kind of understand where they're coming from. You know, Pastor Ross and I are good friends. You may have picked that up. We spend a lot. We have fun together. We work together. We do these meetings together. We play racquetball together. We're together every Sunday night with a radio program, and it's kind of eerie. We can kind of tell what each other is thinking. Matter of fact, it, it is so eerie, I can actually tell what Pastor Ross is thinking. I close my eyes and kind of just tell what he's thinking. I know you find that hard to believe, but I'm going to demonstrate that for you. Pastor Ross, where do you go? Yeah, come on out here, and, and uh, let's just illustrate. I know it's going to be a little embarrassing. Now, maybe the way that we should do this is if, if I close my eyes or I blindfold myself and I turn away and I can't see anything he's doing and he holds up hands or gives me a scripture or whatever it is, you'd think, oh, that was all prearranged. But maybe if we have a volunteer from the audience and they pick the scripture or tell me to lift a number of fingers or anything like that, I'll tell you what it is. Just because if Pastor Ross looks at what they're saying and he thinks hard enough, I'll be able to pick it up. And it's just amazing <laughs> that we're disconnected. So I think we got a volunteer All that's right, kicked out. Okay. <clears throat> all right, and, Pastor Doug, what we're going to be doing is, uh, first of all, we're going to be checking to make sure that you're not going to be able to see anything. All right, I better so take off my glasses. When our volunteer makes, makes his way up here, um, here he comes. That's a real blindfold. There's no The real blindfold. It. All right. It's, what's your name? Daniel. Daniel. All right, Daniel. Great. Well, here's what we're going to do first. I need you to put this on and make sure that uh, you can't see through that. Would you do that for us? All right. Let's see. All right. There it is. C can you see anything? All right. So it's, uh, you just can't, you can't see anything. Okay. Very good. Now, you can take it off. Go ahead and take that off. And I'm going to give this to uh, Pastor Doug, and he's going to put that on. And then while he puts that on, what I'm going to ask you to do is, um, I need you to write down a Bible verse. I can't see anything. You can't see anything. Write down a Bible verse. I'll even verse. turn away. Write it Just down don't nice let me and walk big. Off the stage. Write it down nice and big so that the audience can see it. But don't say it. Don't say what it is, all right? You just give, uh, give a chapter and a book nice and big on here. Yeah, do it so the audience can see it. All right, well, hopefully that's big enough for everybody to see. Do it one more time. Yeah, write it nice and big. Okay, I think that'll work. All right, so there it is. Can you all see what that is? No. All right, don't say it now. Don't read it out. You, you didn't hear that, Pastor Doug, did you? No. All right, okay, there it is. All right, now what we're going to do is I am going to... Uh, send this Bible verse over to Pastor Doug without saying anything. Now, uh, it's going to take just a little bit of Think effort on my part. Are you is. ready over there, Pastor Doug? Okay, he can't see anything, so let me just kind of think it through. Wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm it starts the, with a... I'm going to hit the send button. P. All right, it's gone. Philippians 3.14. Is that close? That's pretty good. Oh, man, It works. All right, well, great. Well, the just to make for the it prize. sure okay. that this the is working. The upward calling of God in Christ <laughs> Jesus. Sorry, go ahead. All right, what we're going to do next is, Daniel, I'm going to have you um, show the audience, uh, raise your hand or step one foot or show us, hold up a certain number of fingers. Don't say anything. 
And I'm going to try that again. I'll see if I can send to Pastor Doug, uh, show or tell Pastor Doug what's happening here. Go ahead and do something. Oh, keep doing that. Keep doing that. It's going to take just a minute. I've got to think about this. All right. Okay. All right. Did he already do it? Boy, he's fast. All right. Did he hold up nine fingers? I thought you were holding up nine fingers. It was ten. Oh, that's my fault then. I must have missed it. I'm sorry. Eight all right, fingers. one more. One more. I held all up right? eight fingers. <laughs> one more time. Thumbs all right, last count. one. Do one more thing for us here. Doesn't have to be too complicated. Well, all right, there it is. Okay, let me think. All right, one more time. Do that again. Do that again. Hold it there. Hold it there. Stretch it out. All right, I think I got it. Hey. He's got it. All right, there it is. You know, all right, I, thank I'm you so much, Dan. Appreciate it. Okay. All right, Pastor Doug, we're done. You know, Jean, I, you just weren't coming through as clear as you used to. You know, I think it's the, the interference of all the electronic equipment up here. It might Are have something to do with it. Are you seeing other friends? Say what? <laughs> All right, good. I wonder if you've seen other pastors or something. <laughs> Let me take that. You got it. Let All right. me show you Thanks. what. Thank you. You probably figured this out. That's just a little earpiece. Wow, I can hear finally. The reason I demonstrated this for you is because I used to think if I could have the Lord speak to me like I do when I do my teleprompter. You've seen uh, when they, they do TV that people read a teleprompter. I don't do that because it just, to me, it looks, you're going like this, you know, and your eyes are darting back and forth. So years ago, we got this little earpiece. I've got an antenna around my neck right now, and I will read any script that I've got to do. Because if you do a long script, it's hard to remember. I'll read it, and I'll stick this in my ear, and then I play it back to myself while I'm talking to the camera, and I can close my eyes, I can look around. It's wonderful. You feel a little schizophrenic because you hear yourself parrot everything you say. But I put this in before, and I thought, Lord, could I get your frequency? And wouldn't you like to have something like this where that still, small voice would talk to you and tell you everything God wants you to do? Go here, don't go there. Do this, don't do that. Say this, don't say that. <laughs> wouldn't you like to have God reveal his will that way? It's not going to happen that way, not in this life. But there are things that you can do to know what God's will is. And that's what we're going to look at in our time that remains. Very quickly, I'm going to give you about 14 points. 14 points on how do you know God's will. So are you ready? And some of you might want to take some notes of this real quick. First of all, how important is it to do God's will? Even in the Lord's Prayer, we pray, Thy will be done. It is crucial in our salvation to know the will of God and to do the will of God. I think it was David Livingston that said, I'd rather be in the heart of Africa in the will of God than on the throne of England outside of his will. And he lived that out. So how do you know God's will for your life? How do you discover that? Well, there are several things you can do. The Lord is, first of all, not willing that any of us should perish. God wants everybody to be saved. Amen? Not everything that happens in life is God's will. There's a lot of things that go on that wasn't part of God's original plan. Now, you might be wondering, what about, can I flip a coin to find God's will? Or cast lots? I don't think God wants you to make big decisions by flipping a coin. You may get down to where there's only a couple of good choices left, I mean, after you've ruled out everything else and you've got two good options and you've got to make a decision and you don't know which way to go. I have a friend that uh, he was trying to find out God's will by flipping coins and he accidentally flipped a coin. It was something important. He shouldn't have done it that way. And the coin rolled across the floor, went up against the wall and stayed upright. <laughs> Never even went over. And it's like God was saying, don't do that. I'm not going to tell you that way. You know, Bible tells us don't base everything on dreams. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 3 for a dream comes through the multitude of business. You know, a lot of things can contribute to your dreams. Not every dream you have. And you know, I never know exactly how to act when somebody comes to me and they says, Pastor Doug, I've had a dream I'd like to tell you. And 
people start sharing some very interesting things with me that uh, I, you know, I don't have the gift of Joseph. I don't know how to tell people what their dreams are. A dream can come through the multitude of business, and a dream can come through the multitude of pizza. And so you don't want to base your decisions on dreams. If God gives you a supernatural dream, you're going to know that there's something different about that. All right, so here's the points. Those were actually just a couple of preliminary points I wanted to touch on. Number one, and you know what? If the program ends and you only get point number one, you're 90% there. Point number one, in knowing God's will, be willing to do God's will. If you're willing to do whatever the Lord tells you to do, then it becomes his responsibility to make his will known. And he will reveal, he'll reveal his will to you. Wonderful things will happen. John 7, verse 17, if anyone wants to do his will, he will know concerning the doctrine whether it is from God or whether I speak on my own authority. Pray and ask God to give you a pliable heart and a willingness to do his will. Isaiah 45, verse 9, does the potter say to the clay, Lord, I want you to do this, or why did you do that? A lot of you might question God's leading in your life. You surrender your heart to him, be willing to do his will, and then he will work things together for good. That promise in Romans that all things work together for good isn't necessarily for everybody. It says, for those that love God that are called according to his purpose. Point number two, when it comes to understanding the will of God, consult the word of God. What does God's word say about it? You know, right there in those two points, look for the revealed will of God, and if you're willing to do his will, find out what the Bible says. Now, I don't recommend you read the Bible like you're witching for water. Yeah, you know, some people will say, oh, Lord, I'm just not sure what to do, and they keep opening their Bible and putting their finger down, open their Bible, put their finger down. It's like that fellow who said, you know, Lord, what do you want me to do? And he opened his Bible and he put his finger down. It said, go hang yourself, or Judas went out and hung himself. You know, and then he flipped his Bible somewhere else and he put his finger down and said, go thou and do likewise. <laughs> and so you can come up with some strange things. You can almost make the Bible say anything. Now, that doesn't mean God has never used that. I actually know of somebody, their daughter told me this story, this lady was praying about marrying an evangelist while she was a young woman. And she really thought, this is a big life decision. And she tried to get all the criteria and all the counsel and do everything else she could think of. Finally, in desperation, she prayed and she put her Bible down and she opened it up and she pointed to that verse in the Bible where God said to Rebecca, if he calls thee, go with him. And she thought, wow. She married him, had a happy marriage. But I don't recommend you study your Bible that way because who knows what you're, where you're going to plant your finger. So find out what the Word of God says. Now, first of all, in the law of God, you've got a great demonstration of the Word of God. Psalm 40, verse 8, I delight to do your will, O God. Yes, your law is within my heart. The law of God is the most perfect expression of the will of God. And so if you say, Lord, what is your will? You know, the will of God 101 is called the Ten Commandments, right? Ten Commandments, it's not his will that you commit adultery. It's not his will that you kill. It's not his will that you lie. And so say, Lord, I'm willing to do your will, beginning with the basics, and say, help me to obey you. Every now and then, I'll run into somebody, and they'll say, well, Pastor Doug, you know, I, I've really been praying, and I just think that I'm supposed to leave my wife and and uh, be with this other person. And I'm going, you don't need to pray about that. And so where do you get the idea that that's God's will? Well, I've got this really good feeling. And I've been seeking God's will. I've been talking to people. And we just weren't a fit for each other. You'd be surprised how many times as a pastor I hear, I hear people come to me and they sort of manipulate circumstances to justify something that the Ten Commandments say is wrong. And if it's in the Ten Commandments, you don't have to pray about, Lord, what is your will about whether or not I should shoplift today? You don't need to pray about that. So don't expect him to give you some supernatural message about his will if he's given you his will and something as basic as his law. Remember, Proverbs 14, 12, there is a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof is the way of death. That was number two. Number three, 
be faithful to his revealed will. There are things that he's already shown you. In other words, I'm not just talking about the Ten Commandments now. Has God been guiding you other times in your life? If you are following what he has been sharing with you up to that point, then he'll show you more. Why would God want to reveal more of his will to you if you're not following the steps that he's already given you progressively? All that does is make you more culpable for denying the extra knowledge that he's given you. You know what I'm saying? I've had people come to evangelistic meetings I've conducted, and uh, I said, well, how are you enjoying things? Well, not sure. Is it making sense? Yeah, that's the problem. It is making sense. But you're talking about stuff I just don't want to do. I think you'll be done. But I know it's true, and I wish I never came. Because now I'm responsible and I'm miserable until I surrender. And so I tell them I pray that God will give them the strength to surrender and do His will and that they will continue being miserable until they do. You don't want to be happy going the wrong way, do you? God loves you too much. Trust in the Lord, Proverbs 3, 5. You know this, and this is a great one. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. In other words, in the ways that you are going now, acknowledge God and He will direct your paths. God will promise to direct no, your I paths if you're acknowledging Him in your other ways. We've got to fix the lights first. Someone said one time, you ask what is the will of God? Well, here's the answer true. The well, nearest thing that should be done that He can do through you. You know, someone one time said, uh, Francis of Assisi, was uh, out hoeing his peas one day in his garden, and one of the young believers became very excited about the uh, second coming. And so he, he went to St. Francis and he said, the Lord's coming, why are you wasting your time out here hoeing peas? You should be getting ready for the second coming. He said, I am getting ready for the second coming. He said, well, what if you knew that the Lord was coming tonight, what would you do? He said, well, I'd finish hoeing my peas. And so that's something we should do. Be faithful to do what lies nearest you with all of your heart, with all of your might. Point number four in knowing the will of God. Obtain Christian counsel. It says Proverbs 11, verse 14, Where there is no counsel, the people fail. But in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. Now, when you pick people that you're going to get counsel from, look at their lives and their example. I mean, you have, may have some very sincere Christian friends, but sometimes their lives are a constant train wreck, and you have to ask yourself if they're the best person to get counsel from. Uh, you want to get counsel from people that look like they've had some success in their relationship with the Lord, and they've got things together, and you will be influenced by your friends. Pick your friends very carefully because you end up becoming like them. 1 Corinthians 15.33, do not be deceived, Evil company corrupts good habits. And again, Psalm 73, verse 24, You will guide me with your counsel, and afterward receive me to glory. So, get a multitude of counsel. It doesn't say just one counselor. And factor that in with the other things that we're talking about, and that's very important. You know, uh, Rehoboam, when he became king, had to make a very important decision regarding the will of God. People came to him with a proposition. And first he listened to uh, Solomon's counselors. Now, Solomon had a pretty good track record for success. He had a pretty good track record for being very smart. But then he went to his buddies, who were, you know, some of the kids he grew up with in the palace that may have been a little bit spoiled, and, and they gave him some really bad counsel. The reason I'm saying that is there is wisdom in getting counsel from elders. You learn something when you've lived a while and you've been around the block a few times. And so trust in your elders. Rehoboam listened to the counsel of his young friends and he rejected the counsel of Solomon's elders and he lost a lot of the kingdom because of that. Look for providence. Point number five. I see some of you taking notes and that's good. Look for providential leading from God. You know, I love the story in the Bible of Ruth and how she comes back with Naomi and they're destitute and they don't know what to do and they're gleaning in the fields. There's only one person in all of Bethlehem that's capable of redeeming their family. And lo and behold, she by chance 
happens upon the field of Boaz, who is the only one who's capable to redeem their family, and she's gleaning in that field, and I say by chance, sarcastically, because with God, there are no chances, really. God, if you surrender your life to the Lord, then He directs. That doesn't mean that you're supposed to go there to the drugstore and agonize in prayer about whether or not you're going to buy Crest or Colgate. You know what I mean? I, I think you could pray about that, I suppose, if you really thought it's a big decision, but God just wants you to use your judgment in some of those things, but there are weightier matters that we should pray for His guidance and His will on. Providence sometimes tells you not to do something, but God will allow you to push your way through. Shortly after I became a Christian, I wasn't a very dedicated Christian. Came down out of the mountains. I used to still drink alcohol. And I was panhandling, begging for money. And I told myself, if I get enough money for beer, it must be God's will for me to drink. <laughs> and sure enough, after a while, you work at anything hard enough, you'll get enough. And uh, that doesn't always mean it's God's will. Balaam, he went down the wrong road he wanted to get the reward that was being offered by the king of Moab. And even after an angel, God said, don't go. And then an angel blocked his path. And even his donkey knew better. God was trying to save him through providence. He still bulldozed his way through. And before his story is over, he dies as a result of pushing for his will instead of recognizing God's providence that was telling him, don't go there. Don't do this. Don't go there. We all know stories that we could probably rehearse of people who had several warnings providentially not to do something. And when they don't listen, things don't end well. And at the same time, we've probably seen where God opened doors and we listen to the open doors of the Lord and it ends up being a great blessing. I don't have time to tell you all the different antidotes and stories I've got about that. Pray. Now, you knew that was on the list somewhere, but that's very important. When you want to know God's will, pray. It may not mean praying one time. It might mean continuing in prayer. It might even mean fasting and praying to know God's will. In, first of all, it says here in 1 John 5, verse 14, Now this is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And we know that if He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions we ask of Him. John 15, 15, Jesus said, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not, know what his does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I've learned from my father, I've made known to you. God reveals his will to his friends. Perhaps you remember in the story, before the Lord was going to go visit Sodom and Gomorrah with judgment, he stopped on the way and visited with Abraham. He said, you're my friend. I'm not going to hide from you what I'm doing. Gave Abraham an opportunity to intercede for his nephew Lot. God is your friend. Talk to him and ask him for guidance. Do you think God wants you to know his will? Let me ask you. Show me your hands. Do you think God wants you to know his will? But does he want you to seek it? He does. What could be more important than the will of God? Bible says in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 to 17, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. For if any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. For all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father but the world. Notice, and the world is passing away in the lust thereof, but he that does the will of God will last forever. Do you want to live forever? Is his will worth looking for? If the ones that do the will of God last forever, and you may have taken a detour, but don't be discouraged. Pray. Sometimes, I guess this would be 6B, a subcategory, fast and pray. Let's face it, some issues are bigger than others. One time a man came to Jesus with a son that was in very serious condition. The disciples tried to cast out this devil and they couldn't. And Jesus said, this kind doesn't come forth except by prayer and fasting, Mark chapter 9. There are some very serious issues. When the king of Persia made a law that all the Israelites were going to be annihilated, Mordecai and Esther said, let's the, have the whole nation fast and pray for three days. No food or water. That's a serious fast when you don't even drink. 
That's about as serious as it gets. When Paul realized he had been killing Christians and Jesus said, why do you persecute me? He didn't eat or drink for three days. I'm not recommending that kind of fast. And there's a whole different message I've got on fasting. There's different ways you can fast. But fast and pray over some of these important issues. And God answers those prayers. Let's go to point number seven. Believe. Have faith. If you're asking God for direction, then trust that He's going to give you direction. If you're doing these other things and you're, willing, you're really willing for Him to lead you, then it's just a question of trusting Him and waiting. Have faith in God. Proverbs 3, verse 5 and 6. Well, I already read that. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Number eight, do the safe thing. Now, what do I mean by that? You know, sometimes you've got to make a decision and you're getting ready to do something and there, it, the consequences of the wrong decision could be disastrous. Maybe you should choose the safer course. Sometimes I've, uh, I've been up like this getting ready to talk and say something and uh, I've heard a little voice that said, should I say that? I don't know if I should say that or not. And then I'll hear that voice of prudence that'll say, uh, do the safe thing, don't say it. And sometimes when I'm in church and I'm preaching, my wife's often in the congregation, I, I'm thinking, I'll say out loud, you know, I, I'm thinking I should say something. Carol will say, don't say it. <laughs> do it now. Have you been talking to people before and you're thinking about saying something and you're wondering if it'll hurt them? Do the safe thing. And so if there's no reason to take a risk, then make the wise decision. It doesn't mean Christians never take risks, but look for the course that's going to be the, uh, the safe thing to do. When you're looking in the mirror and you're getting ready to go out and you're dressing and you're thinking, I wonder if this dress is a little too short. Get the other dress. <laughs> do the safe thing. Number nine, whatever you're doing, do it to the glory of God. The Bible says, whatever you eat, whatever you drink, do all to the glory of God. When you're praying about in a very important decision, ask yourself, how is this decision going to influence God's will for my life? How is this decision going to influence? Will it expand his kingdom? Will it bring other people to him? And I think that's a very important principle. Matthew 6, 33, seek first the kingdom of God in his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. You ultimately want to pray that God is going to do or that you're going to make a decision that will bring souls into his kingdom, that will bring glory to God. You know, I've often had to grapple with decisions before, and that's all I could finally come down to. What is going to bring the greatest glory to God by this decision? Number 10, how will this decision affect others? Romans 7, 14, 7, none of us lives unto himself, and no one dies to himself. You, you know, all of us affect each other, and your decisions affect each other. When uh, God said to Jonah, Jonah, I want you to rise and go to Nineveh and talk to them there, plead with them, God told him to get up and to go east, but he said, I don't want to do the will of God, and he got up and he went west. Now, Here's exhibit A of somebody that did not do the will of God. How were things going for Jonah? Well, at first, everything looked great. He went down there to the shipyard, and lo and behold, the weather was good. Must be God's will that I go the wrong direction. Got good weather. And if there's a ship going the wrong way, then that must be an indicator that God's just going to change his will for me, and I can go the wrong way. Sure enough, there was a ship. And then he thinks to himself, well, if there's any room on the ship, then it must be God's will for me to go the wrong way. Sure enough, they had an empty bunk. And then he thinks, well, maybe I don't have enough for the fare. If I've got enough to pay for the passage, then it must be God's will for me to go the wrong way. What do you know? He had just the right amount. So finally, Jonah paid the fare, went into the ship, found his bunk. And he was so relaxed and running from God, he was sleeping like a baby on his way to destruction. You know, just because the boat is not rocking right away doesn't mean you're necessarily in God's will. 
God is a loving God. Remember, Jesus said, I send the sunshine on the just and on the unjust. But while Jonah was running from the will of God, then a storm came, supernatural storm, deadly storm. Not only was his life in jeopardy, but every other sailor was in danger of dying. Why? Because Jonah was running from God. So your decision to do God's will or to not do God's will, you might think, well, you know, it's my decision. It's my life. Whatever I do, it's up to me. It's all about me. No, it's not. When Jonah was running to God, other people around him were dying because he was running from God's will. When Jonah surrendered to God and he went to Nineveh, hundreds and thousands were saved because he was doing God's will. And while I'm on the subject and I'm on the campus of a university, please forgive me if I remind you God needs more missionaries that will go to difficult places for him. And while you're pondering what God's will might be for your life, you notice on my list it doesn't say what is going to make me the most popular, what is going to earn the most money. I think when you're considering what God's will is, that's really not what you should be thinking about. Is that really a factor? How will that weigh out in eternity? Your popularity or your fame and fortune? The real question is, Lord, will it bring glory to you? Is it your plan for me? God has a perfect plan for your life. Your ultimate and eternal happiness will depend on your doing God's plan for your life. And so as you're pondering some of those big decisions, yeah, keep that in mind as well. Where was I? Oh, I talked about uh, how it's going to affect others. Galatians 5.14, it tells us here, For the law of God is fulfilled in one word. You should love your neighbor as yourself. You know, those are the great commandments. Love the Lord with all of your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. Point 11. This is very important. Be patient. You know, sometimes you're praying for God's will. You want to know right now what God's will is. Well, he may not be wanting to tell you everything right now. He may be revealing things to you little by little. And uh, why do you think in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus tells us to say, give us this day our daily bread? Because the Lord wants us to come to him and trust him on a daily basis. He doesn't spread everything out for you. For one thing, you know right now if God was to give you a manuscript that had your whole life mapped out for you, it'd probably terrify most of you. The closest person in the Bible I can think of that had that experience is when God came to King Hezekiah. He thought he was going to die quickly. And then God spoke to him and said, all right, I've heard your prayer. I'm giving you 15 more years. Basically, what that meant was, you're terminal. You've only got 15 years to live. Well, he was happy because he thought it was shorter than that. But the Lord had mapped out that he was going to live at least another 15 years if he didn't tempt God and do anything foolish. Not too many people get that kind of assurance. If God laid out everything for you, if you knew every trial that you were going to have to face, it might terrify you. Some of you might think you've got 80 years ahead of you. You might say, Lord, I want to know what is your will for my life? And he might be saying, no, actually, you've got six months. Wouldn't that scare you to know that right now? And so trust the Lord that he's going to give it to you as you can handle it. Most people don't graduate from tricycle to race car in one day. As you grow and as you mature spiritually, God will unfold his will for your life. And, well... You know, I remember one thing in my life personally. I never, ever would have dreamed, if you had come to me growing up and going to school in New York City, all the schools I went to, and said, you know, Doug, you're going to be a pastor. I would have choked. I would have laughed so hard. <laughs> because I had all kinds of different dreams. There was everything from an actor to a paleontologist, but a pastor was never on the list anywhere. And so I think that we've got to remember that... Uh, his perfect will for us is going to be revealed as we can handle it. Have patience. Let me give you some more uh, verses on that. James 5, verse 11. Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. And you've heard about the patience of Job, and you see in the end that the Lord is very patient, and he's compassionate and merciful. Jesus said, Luke 21, 19, by patience possess your souls. When Paul was converted on the road to Damascus and the Lord appeared to him, and he said, Lord, what do you want me to do? He said, I tell you what, Paul, I'm going to send somebody. They're going to take you by the hand. They're going to lead you to town. 
you wait for me, I'll send someone else, when I think you can handle it, they'll tell you what to do. Paul didn't get everything all mapped out all at one time. In your patience, possess your souls. And sometimes, you know, part of knowing God's will is standing still. When the children of Israel came up to the Red Sea and they were seeking to understand what they were supposed to do with this dilemma, ocean before them, angry Egyptians behind them, mountains on each side, and they were panicking. God said, shh, be still. You're going to see the salvation of the Lord. Same thing happened in the days of Jehoshaphat. He said, be still. God will do something wonderful for you. You've got to wait on the Lord and trust in the Lord. So be patient. Don't make a major decision prematurely. You don't have to cross a, a bridge if it's an important decision too soon. Also, don't procrastinate. It's like those old generals used to say when they used the, uh, the flintlock rifles with the gunpowder. You only got to load the thing fire once or twice before the enemy was upon you. And so they would say, don't fire until you see the whites of your eyes. Sometimes people get, <laughs> until you see the flashing lights. <laughs> Some people get anxious and then they make a hasty decision and it causes, it causes a problem. And then the other thing you can do is add up the evidence of everything that we're talking about now. And this is number 12. Do an inventory. No, I know it doesn't sound at all romantic, but when Karen and I were dating and we were thinking about marriage, even before I proposed, we thought, well, we got, there's pros and cons. And one of the things she had said is, I'm never marrying a pastor. She had made that, her mind up, I don't know, early in her life about that. So uh, she had to put that on the list, but there were some pros. I mean, I'm such a lovable guy that she had to start <laughs> rethinking that. And so we actually made a list and we prayed and said, you know, Lord, we're trying, seeking your will in this. We're looking at the scripture and trying to add everything up and looking for your providential leading, but God wants you to use your head. And sometimes you just got to take inventory. So make a list and pray. If you've got, you know, a stack of evidence on this side saying this looks like it's God's will, but there's some risk over here, well, you got pretty good evidence. And then this is one more thing. I don't think it's on my list. Sometimes you might want to begin to take a few steps and say, Lord, I'm not sure this is your will, but I'm going to start walking this direction. You block the door if it's not your will. I remember one day, family had the truck packed. We were on our way to California, thought that's where God wanted us. The truck was loaded, ready to drive away. I got a phone call. I got a phone call from uh, Elder Cyril Miller, who was one of the founders of Amazing Facts. And he was a conference president in Texas, later union president. And I just got word last night that he passed away. One of the founders of Amazing Facts. And so Elder Miller called me. He said, Doug, how'd you like to be a pastor in Texas? And I had never been an official pastor before. And I said, I'll pray as we get gas. I put in the truck. We knew it was God's will. He just dramatically showed us through providence and at the last minute. Sometimes you ever notice that God reveals his will at the last minute? You know why? That keeps you trusting him, doesn't it? You've got to have faith. And then what is your heart's desire? You may not have expected that to be on the list, but part of the way that you discover God's will for your life is the Lord will put a yearning and a passion in your heart because you will always do very well the things you're excited about. When we interview people at Amazing Facts, one of the questions I ask is, what do you enjoy the most? Because it doesn't matter what's on the resume, they end up doing what they enjoy. You know, Bible, you're happy to hear that there's some scriptures on that. By the way, that's number 13. First Chronicles 17:2. Nathan said to David, do all that is in your heart, for God is with you. David had a passion to to build up the temple of God, and he saved all his life for that. Psalm 37, verse 4, delight yourself in the Lord. He will give you the desires of your heart. He'll place desires in your heart. And then finally, pray for the guidance of God's Spirit. The Holy Spirit will speak to you. I know we were teasing a little bit earlier about that inner voice, but you really will hear a still, small voice that will say, this is the way walk ye in it. So my appeal to you, friends, Romans 12, 2, do not be conformed to this world, 
but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you might prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The Lord wants us to test, Lord, what is your will? You know, the biggest battle that Jesus faced, and he did it as an example for you and me, was in the Garden of Gethsemane. When he knew he was about to go to the cross, he knew what that meant, that he would be separated from the Father for the first time in eternity, that for the first time in eternity, his pure soul would be stained and burdened with the sins of the world, your sins and mine. And it was agonizing to him. He just needed to know that before this happened, that it was indeed the Father's will. And he prayed three times. He said, Father, is this your will? If there's any way this cup can pass away from me, please. But not my will, thy will be done. Have you ever struggled with that prayer, friends? Not my will, Lord, thy will be done. If you're sincere, that's really where we started with point number one, and you're will really willing to say, Lord, you've got my heart. I trust you. I don't trust my own judgment. Whatever your will is, that's what I want to do. Not my will. God has a perfect, ultimate purpose for you, friends. He wants you to be with him in the kingdom. He wants you to live forever. He's got a different, unique plan for you that's different from his plan for anybody else because he made you a completely unique person. But you need to surrender your hearts to him and just say, Lord, I'm willing to do your will, whatever it is. Is that your desire? When your life is over, what will your legacy be? What do you want to leave behind? You know, the most important thing you can leave behind is that you did God's will. I'd like to just close this last meeting by asking you that question. If the Holy Spirit's been speaking to you and you realize the best thing for you is the will of God and you want him to have his way in your life, would you like to stand right now and ask him as we pray? Father in heaven, Lord, make us willing to follow your will. Have your own way in our lives every day. When we see Jesus on Calvary's hill, we want to be willing with your spirit filling, willing to follow your will. Lord, it's our prayer that we might listen to your voice. And if there are any here who are listening or those who are watching who've been running from Jesus, I pray right now they'll stop surrender and turn and say, Lord, here I am. Not my will, thy will be done. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.